Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. My name is Daniel Staten, and it's a joy to be back with you again. And since the last time I had the great privilege to preach to you, I got married. So that's exciting. Congratulations. Thank you. And my lovely wife, Molly, is in the back with me this morning. So our sermon text this morning comes from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. Let me pray for us before we begin our time in the Word together this morning. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would make your word known to us this morning, that we would diligently search out your scriptures, since in them you have revealed yourself and you have shown us the way to you. Aid us, Holy Spirit, in putting into practice what your word teaches to be doers of the word and not hearers only. I pray that you would be with me as I preach the word this morning. Amen. So I'm a big fan of stories. I love a good story, I love storytelling. And because of that, I can sometimes watch just a little too much TV, as Molly can probably attest to. Movies were one of my biggest hobbies growing up. And I loved going to the movie theaters with my dad. That was a sweet time and sweet memory I could share with him. And despite my love for movies though, there is one form of media I don't much care for, reality TV. Now, no judgments if you like the genre. Uh, I'm not saying you can't like it, I'm just saying I personally don't care for it as much. And there are a lot of bad examples I could have fun listing this morning, I could list up here and poke fun, that they live off the drama of conflicts, that they uh, show people hating each other. But while I was preparing for this sermon this week, I made me think of a certain reality TV show. A show that when I first saw it struck me as different from the others. I don't know if any of you are familiar with or have seen The Great British Baking Show, but I love that show. I loved baking growing up, so that's probably part of the reason why I like it. But also, it's interesting how kind the people are to each other on the show. When I first saw it, it struck me as unusual. Usually, reality show, people are cutthroat. They're pushing each other. They're sabotaging each other. They're tripping each other over. But when I first watched The Great British Baking Show, it's also called The Great British Bake Off. Um, I was shocked that the people, not only were they helping each other, but they weren't screaming at each other. And I was like, this is odd for reality TV. I was so shocked. But many times the other contestants assisted and helped the others. They weren't trying to do any backbiting or sabotaging. They were supportive and encouraging. They wanted the other contestants to be the best bakers that they could be. And I know it's shocking to believe that any reality TV show could have people in it who are competing but yet being supportive of each other, but I'm telling you it's true. So what does all this have to do with Galatians 6, 1 to 5? Well, I think Great British Bake Off is a wonderful illustration of what we're going to be talking about this morning. Because each of the contestants are not necessarily competing with the others in the show, but they're competing with themselves. The only thing they're focusing on the show is trying to be the best bakers that they personally have the ability to be. They want to challenge themselves and grow their talents. But also they want the people around them to be the best bakers that they can be. 
And that's kind of what Paul's going to get at at our text this morning. Ideally, wanting others to be the best followers of Christ is what the church culture should look like. So let's dig into what Paul says, and maybe by the end of this, we can emulate a little bit of those British bakers. Our text this morning starts in Galatians 6, uh, verses 1 to 5. The scriptures say in Galatians 6, verses 1 to 5, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourselves lest you get tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each one will bear his own load. This passage starts with an example, and it's connected to what we read in Galatians 5, verses 25 to 26. You were called in that passage to live by the Spirit. And now an example of living by the Spirit is given. There's a brother, and he's caught in a sin. So Spirit-filled Christians should seek to aid and restore them with a gentle spirit. And this means instead of lording over your brother, that you caught them, you compassionately seek to bring them back to fellowship and faith and repentance. Manifesting to that brother the fruit of the Spirit, which if you remember in the previous chapter, Paul describes as characterized by gentleness and kindness. Well, that means giving time to listen to them, empathizing with them, and maybe even painting a picture of the joy of faithfully following Christ for those that have lost sight of their hope. Paul starts off giving this example of life in the Spirit. This hypothetical scenario was likely to happen. While Christians have been freed from the power of sin, they still live very much in the presence of sin. Temptations and old habits still abound. And even while you're waging war against them, the most seasoned soldiers take hits every now and again. But there's a wrong way to correct a brother. And the best illustration I could think of this morning for a wrong way of how not to correct a brother, it came from a clip that I was shown uh, by a friend of mine uh, a little while back. And in this sketch show, Bob Newhart is playing a therapist. And this lady comes to see him and says, I'm struggling with this phobia. Uh, I, it's, it's really terrible. I, I can't get over it. I'm struggling with all this. And lists her problem not to him. And he looks at her and he says, well, I got this. You don't even have to write it down. Here's the solution. Stop it. And so she goes on to say, well, I'm struggling with this as well, and it's really been really difficult, and, and I just don't know what to do. And he says, I'll tell you what to do. Stop it. And it goes on, and, and, it, and he just keeps saying, stop it, to her problems. And then he goes, well, listen, I just saved you 45 minutes and a bunch of money. There you go. There's the answer. Stop it. And as funny as that clip is, that's not what Paul is looking for here, that we would aggressively oversimplify someone's problem and just say, stop it. And yes, you are called to urge those in sin to cease from their sin and embrace repentance, but it's going to take more of your time than the three minutes that Bob Newhart takes. And it's going to take a gentle spirit. In gentleness and care, you're supposed to listen to someone. You softly 
and tenderly point them back to Christ and to the gospel. And you do so acknowledging that you are just as susceptible and weak as your brother. Were it not for the grace of God, you might be caught in the same struggle that they're in. It goes on to say that when you confront a brother in a trespass, you should, or at least you should be, seeking to restore them. That should be the intent. That should be the motive of what you're trying to do. The aim is never to beat down or sabotage them. Instead, the goal is to restore them to a healthy faith. Like the British bakers, you're looking for them to be the best follower of Christ that they can be, just as the British bakers are looking for the others to be the best bakers that they can be. But there's a warning in this verse. When you're aiding your brother, you must make sure that you do not fall yourself. Now, this could mean a couple things. It could mean being tempted by the same sin that they're in and being dragged down with them into their folly. That's very possible, but what I do think Paul is pointing to here, what make, might make a little bit more sense, is being warned against falling to be tempted to become boastful or prideful or arrogant over your brother. Paul is warning that when you go to confront a brother, you not become prideful and arrogant, not to become puffed up and proud as you confront your brother. Resist thinking, well, I, I would never fall into that sin. Look how weak they are. Look how much self-control she's lacking. I would never do what they're doing. The result of slipping into that is now, while you were off on good intentions to correct your brother, you've slipped over, tripped over your own pride, and you've fallen into another sin of being arrogant and prideful over your brother. And this flows from the verses that were preached last week. You were called to live by the Spirit humbly and not become boastful or arrogant with one another, envying one another. So Paul has given an example of how to restore someone, of how to live the spiritual life. He summarizes his thought in verse 2 with the command to bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. It's pretty straightforward, right? Help one another in their struggles that faithful life to Christ will bring. But what is the law of Christ? The law of Christ, I believe, just stands for the commands and teachings of Christ and the apostles. This is contrasted now with the law of Moses. Remember, the Galatians were seeking to be justified by doing the works of the law. There, that was the temptation they were being faced with. And Paul is correcting them strongly now, saying that you can't find righteousness from the law of Moses. You can't achieve it that way. It's not found that way. Instead, the law of Christ is a kind of antidote to works righteousness, to trying to, by your own strength, uniting with God or making yourself right with God through your own power. The grace that is found in Jesus, that Jesus paid for our sins through his death and resurrection, that he took on the wrath that we earned and instead gifted us righteousness if we trust in him, following his commands. The law of Moses gave no power to obey it. It diagnosed the illness, but it could never treat it. The law of Christ is the cure. Faith in Jesus gives us a new spirit, a new heart. Jesus not only removes your record of debt, 
but gives you the ability and power to put that, his commands, into action, to obey his commands. We fulfill the law of Christ by the Spirit, and we cannot fulfill the law apart from the Spirit. And by living life in the Spirit, we become law-abiding Christian citizens, so to speak. So bear one another's burdens is the key to fulfilling the law of Christ. Love your neighbor. I've heard it said by some prominent psychologists that the best friends you can have are friends that want the best for you. And you should seek to have those kinds of friends, but you should also seek to be that kind of friend to others. Not friends who want to drag you down or want to tempt you to become a less ethical person, you know, the bad influences that want you to go throw rocks at windows or secretly envying you and praying that you would fail so that they would look better. Not those kinds of friends. Instead, we bear one another's burdens and we seek to spur each other on to be their best, to do their best in Christ. Instead of envying them, we desire for them to succeed. And yes, you bear with others who are trapped in sin, but this command is going to go a little bit further as you bear their burdens in other ways as well. This might mean bringing meals to one another, making sure the other person is uh, well-fed or taken care of, taking time to check up on one another and calling one another, saying, are you struggling? Is there anything I can do to encourage you? Hurting with those who hurt and celebrating others' successes as passionately as you would celebrate your own. That's a picture of bearing each other's burdens. Our text continues in verse 3 with a transition. It's going from the community focus to now the individual side of things. And it's going to start off by deflating everybody a little bit. So hang on. In verse 3, it says, If you think you're something and you're nothing, you've deceived yourself. This is continuing the previous idea. In chapter 5, verse 26, it says, Let us not become boastful or challenging one another. And it also goes back to chapter 5, verse 20 and 21. Remember, there was the list of the deeds of the flesh, and they, were, they included jealousy, outbursts of anger, envying, all of these things relating to arrogant, prideful thoughts and actions. The scriptures are warning that people who practice this kind of pride are not kingdom people. Then, in verse 3 of chapter 6, there's a warning not to have a prideful overestimation of ourselves. I think part of the meaning of verse 3 here is that you're taking credit for someone else's work. You're thinking you're something. That is, you're thinking you're some all-wise, talented Christian. You're helping everybody else grow in their faith. And you're becoming puffed up and proud in your spiritual ability. And that, gives, that starts to give birth to what's happening in verse 3 here. You're starting to take credit for the Holy Spirit's work. You start thinking that you're the one who's really rescuing the brother. You have the right words, after all. You know all the tips and steps and tricks to aid them. That you were the ones that put their sins to death. That if it hadn't been for you and all your wise insights, this brother would be lost. And in fact... Everybody that I've helped would have been helpless without me. You start to take credit for the work that the Spirit is doing. And yes, 
The Spirit can be using you as an agent of help and praise God when he does. But you must give glory to God when someone's restored. It's his miracle that he is working, not yours. The faithful response is to acknowledge and praise the Spirit. He is at work among us when a brother is restored, and we praise hallelujah to him when we see that happen, even through our work to restore a brother. And also verse 3 gives a reminder that we'll all probably need help in the future if we're being honest. When you're helping a brother or sister caught in a trespass, you need to give thought that were it not for the grace of God, you could be there too. And that one day you might be in the same situation or a similar situation. It might not even be too far down the road that you're the brother that's going to need help from them. We bear one another's burdens. And Paul goes on to tell the Galatians that each one must examine their own works. And then we have a reason for boasting in our own work, not in regard to one another in verse 4. Now this section is going to get tricky here. I thought, Paul, we were supposed to not boast in anything. I thought you just said we were supposed to bear each other's burdens. And now you're saying each one examine their own work. And in verse 5 you say each one's going to bear his own load. Make up your mind, Paul. So, Paul, which is it? Are we supposed to bear each other's burdens, or does each one bear his own load? The simple answer that Paul would give is yes, exactly. Each one bear their own burdens, and each one uh, bear the, each other's burdens. There's a, this is why the reality show analog came to my mind. In the Great British Bake Off, each of them are competing against themselves. They want to show that they are the best bakers that they can be. And the way they're grading of their skills is individually. They pass based on how well they baked, not how horrible someone else next to them baked. They're not better bakers because somebody else failed. They might go through the next round, but that doesn't make them good at baking. Paul is calling us not to waste our time comparing ourselves to others. Don't get caught in measuring your life and faith under the backdrop of how your neighbor is doing spiritually. You are tasked with the ultimate responsibility over your own life. There is ample work for you to do to put the commands of Christ in practice. Don't get distracted by those around you. And remember that God doesn't grade on a curve. You can't think, well, the guy across the aisle from me at church, how's he doing his sanctification? Am I doing slightly better? I'm good then. At least I don't lie like him. Yeah, 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 I'm struggling with greed, but at least I'm not embezzling like the guy on the news, so I'm good. No, you can't compare yourself to others, because each one will bear or is accountable for his own load. We all have been given works that God prepared in advance for us to do. Each one will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. That's what verse 5 is pointing to. The future judgment, where you will have to give an account for your life and your life alone. You can't be saying, well, this person did this. Well, they did that. No, just your life. And this forward-looking judgment, the final judgment seat of Christ, that's awaiting everybody. There's a deadline ahead of you. And you can't waste your time looking to people around you and say, how far are they along on their project? If you hand in an incomplete assignment 
and someone next to you hands in a, a slightly less complete assignment. You don't pass because yours was a little bit more done than theirs. If it was still incomplete, it's incomplete, you fail. Verse 5, I think, is the fuel to the previous commands we've been given in this section. Why should we bear each other's burdens? Well, because each will have to give an account of his life before God. But so will they. If you truly care about your brother, if you truly love them, don't you want them to have a good report to give of their lives on the final day? So you are to bear their burdens because you care about them. You want them to not fall or falter in their faith. You don't want to see them broken in the final judgment. This is true Christian community. You diligently help each other so that each of us has good works, good uh, faithful deeds to cast before the throne of God, to cast our crowns before the throne of God in praise of Jesus. So Paul has walked us through an example of what living life in the Spirit looks like, what bearing fruit, the spiritual fruit he talked about in chapter 5, he's giving an example of what that might look like. That means bearing with each other's burdens. And that could mean not taking offense too quickly when a brother has wronged us, as the scriptures call us to quickly forgive. But I think it's clear from verse 1, Paul definitely means by bearing one another's burdens, it means seeking to restore someone who's struggling with sin, seeking to restore them back to true fellowship. And when we do so, we must do so gently, gently. All of this fulfills the law of Christ. Overall, I want you to remember that you're not to lord your help over each other or over other people, that you're individually responsible before God. And he will look at you and say whether or not you did this out of pride or as if you help people out of a true and sincere faith. Remember that each one will bear his own load when he sits before Christ in the final judgment, all of your works being laid bare before you. And when Christ walks you through your life moment by moment, will there be any embarrassment at how you compared yourself to others? Were you content that your faith was just marginally better than your neighbor and that was good enough for you, that you did the bare minimum it took to succeed? That you were slanderous or envious of other Christians around you? So seek now to work to live in such a way that you build up a reputation for the final day. Through the, through the Spirit's power in humility, that you work with zeal for Christ, so that on that day, when Christ is walking you through your life moment by moment, he turns to you and looks at you and says, I am proud of you, my brother, my sister. You loved your fellow Christian. With empathy, you corrected them. In humility, you walked alongside your brothers and sisters. And you eagerly sought to think of ways that you could spur them on to love and good works. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enter my rest. Let's pray. You've been listening Heavenly to Father. Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of faith dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.